1: Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, The Power of Purpose in Creating a High-Performance Business, informative. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, a link is located under the episode directory on my Voice America page, as well as links for iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. If there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me, at Media and ab and p.com. Now let's learn a little bit about the guests that we have on the show today. Deanne Chase is a business attorney and strategic business growth expert who works with entrepreneurs and business owners to create proper legal structures that form the foundation for successful business. Deanne has practiced law for over 20 years and has appeared in virtually every every courthouse in Southern California, defending businesses of all sizes against lawsuits. Deanne is passionate about sharing her wealth of legal knowledge to help entrepreneurs and business owners to avoid costly mistakes and lawsuits. Deanne has been honored as a woman of entrepreneurship by Comerica Bank and the Los Angeles Lakers and has received many commendations for her dedication to small business. More recently, her firm was nominated as the Best Law Firm for Small Business by the Best of Small Business Awards, which celebrates business visionaries. Deanne has a remarkable ability to cut through the uncertainty and confusion experienced by many entrepreneurs and business owners when it comes to legal issues. She's a frequent speaker to groups large and small, has participated on many expert panels, and has been featured as a guest on many podcasts and radio programs. Deanne has created a broad range of products and programs that help entrepreneurs and business owners to incorporate manageable legal structures and systems into their business. So, Deanne, welcome to the show. Hi, Candy. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you could be here today to discuss a topic that's very important to business owners. It's extremely important that we're following all the legal things for our business and some of things entrepreneurs probably don't even know what they should be doing. So, I actually wanted to start first with you just giving us a little bit about your background, how you got into assisting entrepreneurs with their legal issues.
2: Sure. Um... So I have been practicing law for over 20 years, and um, as men- as you mentioned, I um, started my career as a litigation attorney defending businesses of all sizes, and, and like I said, in virtu- I've been in virtually every courthouse in Southern California. Um, and uh, as part of that experience, I was representing restaurants, um, retail shops, homeowners, um, trucking companies, product manufacturers, a broad range of businesses um, against a lot of different theories that can be alleged against them as they're running their, their business operations. So after doing that for 10 years, then I started my own law practice in 2007. Um, and, uh, and so basically, my mission is to help these entrepreneurs, business owners, and professional practice owners to put the legal structures in place. Very important
1: that we <laughs> we have those in place. And that's important for business owners even to understand. So can you actually just explain why an entrepreneur should form a business entity?
2: Absolutely. So the business entity is the foundation for the business. I talk to a lot of small business owners who um, who do their business um, initially at the start as a sole proprietor and uh, And some for several years uh, and and oftentimes small business owners are talking with their tax advisors, as I highly recommend, but sometimes those tax advisors are telling them to wait until they make a you know a certain dollar figure until they the tax advisor feels it's beneficial to form a business entity. but in my opinion, you should form the business entity right from the start, and the main reason from my perspective is liability protection. Uh, Mm -hmm. The business entity will provide you with an opportunity to separate your personal assets and protect them from your business assets. But there are also other advantages, such as tax advantages, and also the ability to develop corporate credit under the tax identification number for the business entity right from the start.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think business owners,
1: especially when they're first starting their business, are thinking it's just easier to be a sole proprietor. I don't have to do like all this paperwork. It's already overwhelming to start a business and to add that on top of it, so I'm just going to be a
2: sole proprietor. <laughs> you know? That's right. That's right. But it actually, it's, it's not that much more complicated to form a simple business entity, um, and usually the, the primary options are an LLC, a limited liability company, or a, a, a small corporation and um, and the additional paperwork I feel is is really worth it
1: mm-hmm.
2: and obviously,
1: I mean there's all kinds of entity types, and you just mentioned a couple of them, but can you
2: actually say what entity types there are overall? Yes, so the the primary entity types for or primarily for small business owners are the LLC. Um, limited liability company and a corporation. Um, and for um, there are some professionals such as dentists, veterinarians, chiropractors, physical therapists, and so on that um, cannot practice their profession through an LLC. So they actually need to be formed as a professional corporation and comply with their state board requirements. But the, the main the main options are LLC or corporation. And um, and my recommendation in most instances is for the LLC. Oh, interesting,
1: because I have heard a lot of talk too about you know obviously a C corp is the double taxation, so the S corp is often ideal for businesses, and that's what I've heard often is suggested over an LLC. Um, but is that just because you're talking to smaller businesses and an LLC makes sense when they're first starting out?
2: Well, the um, the distinction between a C corporation and the S corporate uh, and S corporation tax elections are just that—they're tax elections. So. Um Many people don't realize that an LLC can elect to be taxed as an S corporation, and basically, what that means is the C corporation, like you mentioned, has the um, the aspect of double taxation to it, in that the income and losses are taxed at the corporate level, and then as any profits are distributed to the shareholders, then the shareholders are taxed again. Um, The S corporation allows the um, a a pass-through taxation where the income and losses pass through to the individual shareholders, and and for many tax advisors, they feel that that's the, the best tax structure for small business owners because it allows um, small business owners to take advantage of certain um, in, in tax benefits relating to self-employment versus being an employee of your corporation. So mm-hmm. I have many, um, many clients that come to me and say, well, I think I need to be an S-corp because that's what my tax advisor says, and I do feel like that in most instances is the best tax Um, election and tax status, but many people don't realize that they can have the the flexibility and low maintenance of an LLC and have the benefit of having an S-tax election hmm Well, sounds like a perfect combination, <laughs> although well, yes. they just, need to talk just, to the person. So people, right. And just so people know, I mean, the reason that I prefer the LLC as opposed to the actual corporate structure is just that many um, small business owners form a corporation because they're told they need to be an S corporation. And what that entails is um, is a lot of maintenance, particularly with regard to a lot, it just adds a lot more paperwork. So a corporation needs to have bylaws, stock certificates, and needs to have um, annual meetings of shareholders and directors and and significantly they need to document those meetings by um, keeping meeting minutes that that evidence the fact that they held those meetings. Um, And so a lot lot of people don't do that, and the reason the minutes matter is that if someone sues the small business owner trying to what's called pierce the corporate veil for failure to comply with those formalities, the failure to keep those meeting minutes in the appropriate t- documentation is often an easy way for someone trying to sue the small business owner to pierce through the, the corporate structure and get through their personal assets. Right. Well, of course, it's
1: important to do whatever is required to stay within compliance so you keep that protection Um, But I do want to make sure people realize that what we're sharing today is just general information, too. So they really need to make sure that they're talking one-on-one with their professional advisor as well to figure out what's best for them.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. They need to be talking with their tax advisors to know that their their taxes are particular for them and similarly they need to be speaking with their own legal counsel. This is for educational and information purposes only. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's
1: my disclaimer. Uh, and mine too, like my whole thing here is I want to educate business owners so that they are aware of information that they may not have been, you know, aware of before but always, you know, talk with your advisor to make sure you know how it applies to
2: you. So, Absolutely, um, I agree, 100%. Yeah,
1: exactly. So there are some other issues that I wanted to cover. It may not apply to a lot of you know businesses, but it does apply to some. So first of all, can you talk about how to protect intellectual property?
2: Sure. Um, I think that it applies to virtually every business when they're choosing the name that they're going to use for their business. Okay, good point. Um, so for me... Um, you know, your intellectual property consists of your, you know, the name of your business, um, maybe your taglines, um, uh, content of, you know, articles and courses and so on and so forth that you create as part of your, your business structure. Um, and so... With regard to the trademarks in particular, when selecting a business name, it's just really important for, um, for someone to do a very comprehensive search um, to be sure that someone else is not already using either the same name or something substantially similar in the same field of um, business that, that this person or business intends to use it. That's, that's the, the most important thing hmm And how
1: would they go? I mean, you just do a Google search. Is there a site that you would go to where someone could find out? Because, of course, we're talking to people, you know, not just you know, even in California, you know, not even just the U.S. We have people listening kind of all over, but let's just assume it's the United States, right? How would they find, is there someone else using their name in another state even that there would be an issue?
2: Well, there are many, many different ways. Um, for someone to do a search, especially you know with the internet being as accessible as it is. so yes, absolutely do a Google search um, and and you can get a good feel there. You also, a lot of people come to me um after they've, bought many domains, right? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. domain search can be a good indicator. Sometimes people say, oh, the domain wasn't available. Well, (laughs) why not, right? Take a look and see. Um, Of course, social media, you know, just go to Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn and, you know, and type in the name and see that that's a good way. Um, uh, In the United States, you can go to the United States Patent and Trademark Office um, and uh, you can actually do a search of the trademark database uh, with regard to the federal uh, filings. And then, of course, as part of our, our law firm practice, we do a comprehensive trademark search and analysis for our clients as well. Okay, nice.
1: So, if they do the search and they think all is well, you know, can you just talk on, um, you know, the maybe what they need to do the first, you know, couple steps just to protect, you know, that property?
2: Sure. um, so with regard to their um with regard to their business names, they would want to um, you know get a a DBA in their county. So a dBA is a um, is doing business as, but it's um, created by filing a form usually called a fictitious business name statement. Uh, in their county, and it's very, very limited in scope, but it does give very limited trademark protection within the county. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if they are, once they've done their search, if they feel comfortable that their name is available, I do recommend just filing a trademark application with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So a lot of small businesses say it's, I'm, you know, it's early, I don't know yet if I'm going to be using it, um, you know, what name I'm going to be using, but if if they narrow it down they feel comfortable with it, they can file a trademark application as an intent to use, meaning they're not even actually using it, um, just to kind of hold the name, or that they can file an application saying that they're actually using the name. And um, and with regard to their intellectual property on their websites, they can put a copyright notice on their website pages that has the C and the date uh, that they're, that they' you know that they put the content up and the own, the name of the owner, which, if they have an entity, would be listed as the entity. Mm, okay. Um, and do you want to just briefly touch on the definitions? We're
1: throwing out a couple words. I just want to make sure everyone understands what is, you know, trademark versus, you know, what is something that's copyrighted, you know, or something like that? Could you just give a quick definition on that?
2: Sure. Um so the trademark is um it's defined as any word, name, symbol, device or combination of those items used to identify the source of goods or services. So primarily, like I said, trademarks are um, our brand names, their product names, their taglines and logos—that's primarily what trademark protects. Copyright is um, copyright protects literary, dramatic, musical and artistic works, um, and and the way that it's defined is basically you have copyright protection from the time that you um, have a what's called an original work of authorship fixed in a tangible medium of expression. So that's, that's the legal definition, but basically what, what that applies to is usually, you know, it's website content, it's articles, it's, um, you know, if you create an online course or something like that. That's what mm-hmm. copyright applies to. And then, just so everyone knows, patents apply to inventions and proprietary processes. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Thanks. I
1: just want to make sure because we're throwing out words, and although we often assume people understand, I want to make sure that there is a complete understanding of what those mean, what those definitions are. So, Absolutely. thank you for that. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's actually time to take a break. So, when we come back, we'll continue to chat with Deanne about legal issues that can affect your business. You're listening to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer on Voice America Internet Radio. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break.
0: The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, affordable bookkeeping and payroll services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload Tasks that burden you reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com call us today have peace of mind tonight find out what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn You are listening to BizHelp for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at a-b-a-n-d-p dot Now, back to BizHelp for You.
1: Welcome back to BizHelp for You with Candy Messer. In the last segment, Deanne Chase told us about her background, and we began to discuss entity types and how to determine which is right for you. And we also started touching on trademarks and patents. So let's learn more about these other issues that can impact your business. So Deanne, what types of issues do you often see arise with trademarks?
2: What I find, what I see most often is I have, you know, clients that come to me um, after they've been doing business for a while, and they have received a cease and desist letter from someone, from some company that says that they are using the same name that the company is also using, right? And so that's what I mentioned earlier about how important it is to do a search, because what I see are business owners who are confronted with this cease and desist letter telling them to stop using the name that they've used, branded for their business. You know, by that mm. point in time, of course, they've got logos developed around their names. They've got websites. Sometimes if they've got retail stores. They've got signs hanging out that are very expensive. And now they're getting this, this letter from this company claiming that, that, that they need to stop using that name. And so, um, and so I've had clients on both ends of the spectrum, but too often I do see clients with, with a situation where if they haven't adequately searched it and somebody is using it, particularly if someone's already registered the, the name, then, um, then I have had clients who've had to completely rebrand. Mm. Yeah, that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> no, so. really not. Well, another important
1: issue to discuss are contracts, right? So what key contracts do business owners need to have in place?
2: so um so the the most important contract that that they need to have in place is a is a a customized contract for their business that they use you know with their regular clients and customers or and vendors primarily, but especially with their clients and customers. So, I have a broad range of clients. I have consultants who are providing you know expertise in particular fields that they need a good consulting agreement that they give to their to their clients. I have um, you know, I've got creative people who are creating websites or logos or you know, they're creating intellectual property for other people that they then need to have a solid contract with their with their clients and customers that that specifies, for example, who owns the the out the output of their of their efforts. Right. So mm-hmm. if I have. A, um, if I have a, someone who's creative creating, for example, a logo for someone, what a lot of people don't realize is, by default, the, the creator of the logo owns it, and not the person that's paying to have the logo developed. Mm. So, um, so a good contract is important for both sides to be able to say that the the logo, for example, is created by you know by the designer, and it's owned by the designer until the client pays for it. Right. right, and then once the client pays for it, then the client owns it, and the contract provides a mechanism to be able to transfer the intellectual property rights from the designer to the client. So I think just a really the most important contract is a is a contract that you use with your clients and customers.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think we should throw out there as well that it's important that they make sure that the laws. You know, are being followed by for their state as well, and not just get a template off the internet or something because it may not even apply
2: into your state, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, so I call that the Frankenstein contract <laughs> where people take when they're when they're starting their businesses or even you know as they're growing their business, they will I've seen them take other contracts from other businesses in their industry, which can sometimes be helpful in that it might have some industry standard practices or language. But you can't just take the whole contract because it includes a lot of things that um, may or may not apply to your business. For example, you want to make sure the contract does have the law of your state. Mm-hmm. Um, and um and, What's also important is that you want to make sure that the contract includes that if there's a dispute arising from the contract, that the law of your of your home state applies, and that any disputes will be resolved in your home state as opposed to having to go somewhere mm-hmm. else to to see someone, even if it's you know just for collections just to collect the money you are owed.
1: Right, exactly. It's just sometimes, again, people think it's just easy, it's there, it's going to protect me, but they don't really understand why it really wouldn't, you know. And again, trying to just do what you think you need to do and doing what you think is going to work, but then finding out later, this doesn't really work in your state. Not a good thing, right?
2: Right. I mean, the basics of the contract should include a clear identification of the parties to the contract and their contact information, like addresses a clear scope of services that are being provided, um, and, um, you know, ownership of intellectual property and dispute resolution. Like, those are a lot of really important things. So, you know, I've had clients sometimes who will will piece together a contract they feel comfortable with, like they like the language because it's mm-hmm. industry-specific or what have you, but then they give it to me to review.
0: You know, Mm -hmm. and so
2: no matter where you are, you know, you should always have, you should always work with a lawyer to review the contracts and to help you with those things instead of relying on, I mean, that's why we went to law school. Right. Right. Well, and the cost (laughs) of having
1: a review or even creating a contract is going to be much less than what they could lose if they're sued or something.
2: Well, absolutely. And I think, I think it's just an investment in your business. I mean, if you have, I call it living with your contract. So if you have a contract that you, you know, if you've worked on, you've customized it to your business, you know how it works and you live with it in that, like an example is if you draft into your contract a certain termination provision that says, for example, either party can terminate this agreement on 10 days written notice. Well, then you know that you are going to be sending, you know, your client a notice if you want to terminate the contract, or it'll say how a contract terminates in the event of a breach, and so you know your contract says in the event of a, d- a breach, I'm going to send this notice, and after such and such a time, I can cancel. So, um, so it's it's really important to have a contract that fits you and fits right. your business. Right. So, what are some of the legal issues that business owners
1: may run into with employees? Well, that's a whole other ball game. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um and so well I guess I think we need to go back and define who an employee is because a lot of times I have small business owners who come to me and they say they don't have any employees when I ask them mm-hmm. do you have any they say no I don't have any employees but but then I say well have you hired contractors and I say oh yeah I have 20 of those you know right. <laughs> And so um so I think it's important at the outset to to really strongly urge um, business owners that are hiring people to help them in their business to to properly identify whether someone is an independent contractor or an employee. So we're here in the state of California, and in the state of California, the laws have become more and more stringent as to who qualifies as an independent contractor. And in fact... The presumption is that if you hire someone to work in your business, that person is an employee. Um, and recent case law and, uh, um, and 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 law that's been signed in recently, as as recently as September 18th, of 2019, um, has really specified what the tests are for someone to be an independent contractor versus employee. But at a national level, the IRS also has a test for the, for the same determination. So it's really important for small, small business owners to properly classify independent contractors versus employees first.
1: Mm-hmm. And I will throw in there, too, one of uh, my first shows that we did here went into all those details of what the IRS considers, um, and we actually had another um, episode on mistakes business owners make so if you are listening and you're not sure you can go back to prior episodes and find the information and get educated uh, so you don't make these mistakes right because there's some huge penalties if they're putting someone as a contractor and technically they should be an employee
2: exactly and I think that the um it may be it may be helpful for your um, for your listeners to just get a review on the um, the the test in California as far as what is the the A B C test. Okay. Um, you may have gone over it in the past, but I just want to make sure people understand the ABT, the A B C test is the 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 test in the state of California that um, that has now been codified into law. Basically A is that the worker is free from the control and direction of the hirer in connection with the performance of the work. And so that's always been the traditional standard, right? Is the issue mm-hmm. of control. Um and and I'm C. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Um, C is the worker is engaged in a customarily independent trade, occupation, or business of the same nature involved in the work performed. I usually say that someone who is in you know in their own business, and I, I usually like the example of a plumber because a plumber is easy. The plumber is in their own independent trade. Mm-hmm. But where a lot of a lot of small business owners really got hit is with with prong B. Which says a worker performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity entity's business. Mm-hmm. So that basically means that if you're like I have clients, for example, who are fitness studios or dance studios or what have you, and I, it's always very easy to say, if someone has a yoga studio and and traditionally, yoga owners of yoga studios would hire their instructors as independent contractors, right. but under the new law if you have a yoga studio and a yoga instructor because that instructor is providing services within the same course of the ordinary course of business for the yoga studio, then that person is an employee. Right. And I think we need to advise the listeners on on
1: two things, too. Remember, you have to follow the laws that are the most strict, right, whether it's federal or state for the worker. And also, it's based on where the worker is, right, not the company, corporate, office, per se.
2: Absolutely, that's right. We have companies that are outside the state of California, but they hire people within the state of California, and, and then the California laws will apply, and, and similarly in the other states as well, because each state has, a, um, has an incentive to protect you know, people working in their state. So it's really right. important that when you're hiring someone that you consult with local counsel as to what the rules of the game are with regard to the people that you're hiring.
1: Right. And if they technically should be employees, put them on payroll. And yes, it brings a whole bunch of other things into it. If you're not already running payroll, now you have to run payroll and pay taxes and all of those things. But again, you need to follow the guidelines of the law to make sure you're in compliance. Because what could happen, of course, is if they have a contractor, you know, that they've classified as a contractor, right? But now they're technically supposed to be employee. If they become disgruntled, like, I'm sure you've seen this a lot, right? What's going to happen, right? They're going to go file for unemployment or something, and now that opens up, you know, a huge issue.
2: Absolutely. I've had people who... even disgruntled or not, I mean, I've had people who um, hired independent contractors. And in one instance, I had a, a business that hired an independent contractor. The independent contractor felt like they weren't getting enough work, so they went to, to get unemployment. Mm. And, um, and then the way that the forms are, are structured is it, it basically says, essentially, who did you last work for? And then all of a sudden now my client has an independent contractor making a claim for unemployment, which, of course, you would say, An independent contractor doesn't get unemployment, only employees do. But in the eyes of the administrative agencies, they view these people as employees first. So now you have an employment claim, which can then trigger a tax audit if this one individual is determined to be an employee. Then in in California, the, the EDD, the Employment Development Department, will then start looking at the business for the other workers as well.
1: Right. And I actually had a situation many years ago. So this was even before the really strict, you know, California laws we have now. Um, And it was the same example, it was a gym, it was trainers, and the trainer was trying to steal in the owner's opinion, you know, the clients, so they terminated their relationship they filed for unemployment, then it came back, you know, they did an audit, said, nope, they really should have been employees, now you owe all these back payroll taxes, the state alerted the IRS, and then the IRS said, now you owe all these back taxes, and the person literally ended up closing her business because it cost so much in the, you know, the tax liability that she had to pay that she couldn't continue to operate. So this is, you know, a super serious issue we're really discussing and wanting to make people aware you know, yes, it's more complicated to hire someone because there's other work that has to be done, but you don't want to get caught in, I'm just, you know, trying to save a little bit of time or money and do a contractor and then have it come back later and be much more than you expected,
2: right? Absolutely. I see it too often. And, And, you know, it's not even, you know, as between the business owner and the person you're hiring, Sometimes I have my clients say, well, you know, the person I'm hiring doesn't want to be an employee. I'm like, mm, that's just too bad <laughs> because, mm-hmm. the, because the governmental agencies have, have said that this is the way it is. And so if you have an employee, you're absolutely right, then you need to make sure that you have certain things in place. So for an employee, first and foremost, you need to have workers' compensation insurance right that's required mm-hmm. you should also have an employee manual that that mm-hmm. sets forth you know what the expect the job expectations are i mean to a certain extent having an employee is is easier for the business because then you can exercise full control over that employee's job performance, right? Whereas, right. in some instances, my my clients in the past when they'd hire an independent contractor, because the, the test really relied on control, the the clients felt like they were very hands off. Like I can't right. tell the contractor what to do because they'll be an employee. Well, in this case, you as an employer, you can tell them what to wear, where to go, what time to show up, you know, and all those sorts of things. So, uh, but it's best to have that documented in an employment manual. Right, exactly. Well, it's actually just about time
1: to take another quick break. This time is going by so fast. (laughs) But be sure to hang around to hear more from Deanne Chase of Chase Law Group on the topic of legal issues to consider. We'll be right back after a brief commercial break.
0: The future of online TV is here you exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com call us today have peace of mind tonight find out what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn You are listening to BizHelp For You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at aband Now, back to BizHelp For You.
1: Welcome back to BizHelp For You with Candy Messer. Today, I'm chatting with Deanne Chase of Chase Law Group. Let's continue our discussion on things entrepreneurs should consider in regard to legal issues. So, Deanne, what are some of the legal issues that business owners may run into with their business partners?
2: Oh, boy. Well, <laughs> business partnerships are, are a whole um, a whole other dimension, right? Um and I work with uh, business partners going into business together when you know with when their business is the next best thing, and I've also worked with business partners on the way out, you know where they mm-hmm. they literally can't stand to be in the room together, they can't um, talk to each other, they're no longer able to communicate so um, so with business partnerships in particular, it is really, really important right from the start when everyone is getting along and and feeling fair and you know, and, and amicable, and, and all that good stuff. It's really important that business partners get their agreement in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I see too often people are very, very excited about the business that they're doing, and you know, and so they just start moving forward. You know, all of a sudden, someone's designing logos and websites, and someone's you know working on sales activities and and they just dive right in and and sometimes they just kind of get carried away and then trying to backtrack and put everything in writing can sometimes be very difficult once you're kind of moving mm-hmm. further down the road.
1: Yep, for sure. I've actually had experience with a few clients that, you know, had – but like I said, everything was fabulous, and then it wasn't so great. And I remember, you know, one specific instance where, um, you know, one person said, well, they were supposed to do this, and I was supposed to do this. And then I said, oh, well, what does it say in your operating agreement? And they said, oh, well, we don't have one. We just, you know, verbalized what we were going to do. And that was the problem. <clears throat> problem. They remembered two different things.
2: Right. Right. That happens very, very often. And that's why I say it's really important to get each partner's expectations and understandings in writing. And so, um, and to your point, when they have a limited liability company, the best place to document their partnership terms is in the operating agreement. Mm-hmm. So, um, but here is a place that I've seen a, a lot of mistakes made because a lot of people will use an online service uh, where they just kind of fill in some blanks and they get a pretty basic template operating agreement for their LLC with their business partner. And those are absolutely terrible because they do not include anything that talks about what happens if someone wants out of the business, what do they get if they get out of the business, what happens if they're married and they get a divorce and now your partner is now in business with the other person's spouse or heaven forbid the other partner passes away, um, you know, what happens to their interest, who makes decisions, how do decisions get made. So all of that is, is are things that I've seen happen in particular where people use an online service. Um, mm-hmm. But the location for the partnership terms are in the operating agreement for the LLC. If you do have an, a, a corporate structure for an S-Corp or C C-Corp, the, um, the partnership terms are usually drafted into a shareholder's agreement or mm-hmm. you can have a standalone document that's called a buy-sell agreement that includes all the partnership terms.
1: Mm-hmm. All very important to have. And like you said, so everyone's on the same page when things are maybe not going as smoothly as they did when they first started and they had the big dreams or things. Because just like in any relationship, right, things happen and um, you may remember things differently. So if you can go back to what it's, you know, on paper, then it helps, you know, to make things a little bit better. So what are the most common mistakes that you see then from someone who's starting a new business?
2: Uh, I think... I think that um, people just get excited and passionate about the business that they're going to be doing because that's their skills, and they get excited about the websites and the marketing, which is usually the most fun. Um, mm-hmm. But they don't always take the time to to really work on their structure, and they don't budget, frankly, appropriately for 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 their legal structures. So Mm -hmm. they, um, you know, unfortunately, our media will say you don't need a lawyer to do a lot of these things that we've been talking about. And and like we've said, I think the lesson here is really that if you invest the time and money in creating a proper structure from the start, then you really can save hundreds of thousands of dollars later in litigation or fines or taxes or what have you. So, um, So I think that that's... That's the biggest mistake I've seen people is not not putting together a proper business plan, you know, mm-hmm. where they really write down in you know it helps to really assess the competition and and is there a need for this and how are you going to make money and are you know, so um, so that's what I think I see a lot of as a failure to plan for small business owners.
1: I think that's a big thing too because again, as business owners, if they're starting out they're wearing so many hats, right? You know, like I have to be the salesperson. I have to be, you know, the marketing um, department. I have to be the product development team. I have to, you know, like there's all these things. I I have to be the accounts payable and the accounts receivable, you know, all of that. And I think we say to ourselves, well, I have to do... The most important things first, which are get my businesses up and running, and I'll get to those things later, right? And then later Mm -hmm. might be six months, a year, five years, you know, oh, yeah, I'm going to get around to incorporating at some point or, you know, whatever that is, right? So I think it's just overwhelming for that entrepreneur.
2: Absolutely. Well, and and – to what you do, it's really important to have a, a good bookkeeper, an accountant in place from the start as well to be able to put some of the financial um, structures in place and to make sure that their their books and records are kept in order so that then if they, you know, when they do have to file tax returns or they, or heaven forbid, they get audited, all that documentation is properly in place.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, like you said, before, I think maybe in the first segment when you said, you know, looking at going into this legal agreement uh, with your attorney helping you is an investment, right? Same thing with bookkeeping. It's an investment. I think a lot of times people look at it as, oh, it's that mandatory expense I have to pay if I go there and I can just do without that for now. So just really looking at all of these things that are going to protect your business as an investment in your business, it's going to be worth it in the long run.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. We've put together um, a, a program called the Illegal Essentials for Business Owners that, um, that I've tried to put in place the, the things that I think are essential, <laughs> like a, mm-hmm. you know, a good business entity, a customized contract, a trademark search analysis, trademark application, and a few other things. And the idea is really to essentially spread the cost out over you know, a 12-month period, but really to make sure that the structures are in place that business owners need. Mm-hmm. And as
1: you mentioned before, too, I mean, you don't have to necessarily come to the attorney at the very beginning and they write everything out and, you know, it's going to take, you know, this many hours and it costs you this much. I mean, they can come to you for a review of things. So if they have a contract, they need reviewed. If they have an employment agreement, they need reviewed or things like they don't have to necessarily come at the very beginning. They can have something kind of done and then have you or, you know, someone in their state, whatever, who it is, their legal advisor, actually help them to make sure that they're meeting all the important points um, and still not have a lot that they have to pay out-of-pocket, you know, relative to the protection they're getting. That's right. Absolutely. Right. So before we, you know, go into the very end of the show, we have a few minutes left before we're going to end up having, you know, what you want to offer and how to connect with you and everything, too. But do you have any final, like, tips or information that would be helpful for the entrepreneur, for them to know, you know, what they should be doing, what steps to take just to protect themselves?
2: Well, I think it's, I think it's really important for small business owners to educate themselves, you know, mm-hmm. on, on – you know, you you know your service, your product or service, but you need to educate yourself on, you know, on small on small business issues, how to run your business. So, they could, there are a lot of free resources. Um, the Small mm-hmm. Business Administration, the SBA, has got some great information. Um, in California, there's the California Chamber of Commerce. It's got some great free information for um, for employers, which I think is really important. Uh, you can go to your local Chamber of Commerce, find an accountant uh, or bookkeeper. I, I recommend that as well. I think you really need, small business owners need to get, the tax advice and work with an educated tax advisor. So mm-hmm. go to your local chamber of commerce. Usually an accountant or a bookkeeper that joins the chamber is already you know focused on businesses, and that's the best place to find to find those right. resources.
1: And even while you're talking about some of those free resources, I also thought of, you know, going to like a SCORE location, you know, or a small business development center. I know here locally in the South Bay, there's an entrepreneurial center. So they could probably even reach out to other, you know, business owners they know, maybe ask them for some information. What, you know, what resources do you have or know about, you know, to help? Because like you said, there are some free resources available as well and like SCORE and the Small Business Development Center. Those are people who've been in business, kind of been there, done that, and they're focused on helping you in that one area that you need help in as well.
2: Right, exactly, and and hopefully, once you do get that that free advice and this, you know, score and and the Small Business Development Center, those advisors can can kind of point you in the right direction. But mm-hmm. but eventually, you do need to actually get an attorney. Or right. And or a tax advisor to look at everything. Of course. Um, it, it's just really important, I think. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I mean,
1: like you said, in the long run, yes, you always want to have that, you know, advisor, that trusted advisor that you can go to for other, you know things, very specific things, but even ask others that, you know, like you said, if you have a financial planner that you really trust, ask them who they recommend, you know, so it's not like you're flying blind and having to just find someone, asking other Mm -hmm. professionals even for those references that they can say, this is an attorney that I know that would be able to help you, or this is an accountant that can help you, or, you know, business banker, all those things that you can go to those trusted advisors.
2: Absolutely, because they've t- they have taken the, uh, a lot of, uh, the good ones anyway, will have a strong network of resources mm-hmm. for their, for their clients. Right. And most of us,
1: like, I feel the same way. Like when people reach out to me, they call me a lot. Like, who do you recommend for this type of insurance? Or who do you recommend for, you know, an attorney? Who do you recommend for a CPA? Since I don't do the actual income tax, we do right up to that point. But like, I love being that resource because I trust the people that I'm referring and I want my clients to have, you know, the best for their needs. So I'm always looking at what do they need? Who do I know that can fit that need? And so don't be afraid to reach out to those people that you trust because it's not like, oh, I hate to bother them. Right. They want to help you, too. So reach out to someone and ask for a recommendation to an attorney that can help. So, um, any final um, tips before I like said, get to the close of the show?
2: Um, well, I mean, I think that um, i i I do have a free gift for okay. your audience mm-hmm. uh, if if this is the time to talk about that, um but i but I do want to I did put together an ebook that I wrote. That is the top five legal mistakes small business owners make, mm-hmm. and um, and it, it's a good resource I feel for small business owners to educate themselves on the legal foundation of what they um, of what they need to know in what you know easily in one place. And so, um, if they text biz law b i z l a w to two six seven eight six, um, they can get that free ebook um, with the, the top five legal mistakes and those are for people just starting out in
1: business or is that no matter how long you've been in business these are things you really should look at
2: no matter how long you've been in business because some of it is good to know when when business owners are starting but let's let's be real like we talked about a lot of people don't do this until they've been right. they're kind of up and running and then they're like okay now I'm ready to do things you know, the right way is what a lot of my mm-hmm. clients say, and so this is a, is a, a nice, simple, easy resource for at any stage of business. Okay, perfect. And if someone wants to
1: reach out to you, you know, and connect with you for more information, how can they reach you?
2: They can go to my personal website, which is DeanneChase.com. That's D-E-A-N-N. C H A S E dot com dot com would probably be the best way. Or they can call okay. my office three one zero five four five seven seven zero zero. Perfect. Well I thank you
1: so much for the great information you shared. Again, we we're just touching on some of the things. There's so much out there in terms of, you know, the legal aspects of a business that we weren't able to touch on. Um, but if you are listening today as well, I hope that this was at least informative uh, for you as well, just to kind of break through the ice a little bit. Again, talk to your professional that you have Um if you have one to make sure that you are meeting all of the requirements in the guidelines. Um, but if you have any additional questions or comments, you can always reach out to Deanne at any of the links she shared, or you can send us a message at media at and p.com. Next week's topic will be on college financial planning. I hope you can join us for this presentation and please remember you can connect with us on Twitter facebook and linkedin and my website is www.abandp.com again links can be found on my voice america page remember to tune in each tuesday at 2 p.m pacific standard time and if you can't join us for the live show you can find the episodes saved on the business channel on www.voiceamerica.com or find the podcasts posted on itunes tune in Stitcher, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week.
0: Thank you for listening to BizHelp For You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a terrific week.